0: We're going to get started here. Our teaching, if you'll make your way back. We've been walking through this series uh, called Disciple Shift, and we've been talking about how we're looking as a church to kind of shift what we're doing in the area of discipleship and what I told you my confession to you that uh, really uh, for a long time in my ministry career my thinking my process and kind of my knee-jerk approach was come to church kind of like it stay around get plugged in a little bit and then once it looks like you're really tracking well then we say hey it's time to disciple them and offer the invitation and what we've noticed is that really God's Word tells us otherwise. God's Word says everyone in the church needs to be discipled. Everyone's at a different spiritual level, and so we want to disciple and build into that person wherever they might be on their spiritual journey. And so that's what we're talking about in this disciple shift. So this is week five, so let me just, real quick, let me recap kind of where we're at. Our key verse is Matthew 4, 19. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of people. Follow me. This decision to say... That sounds like the way my life should be going, following Jesus Christ. We investigate who Jesus is through his word. We hear about that in church, maybe through a a good conversation with a Christian friend. As we investigate that, there comes this moment where we make this choice to follow Jesus. The second part of that verse, though, Jesus says is, and I will make you. Jesus is saying to you, after you say yes to me, I want to follow you. Jesus is saying, now I would like to build into you. I'd like to transform you. If you're into sports, if you're into music, anything that's a skill-based type of thing, you have a coach or a leader, and basically, I mean, if they have a strong reputation and they have, uh, uh, and you trust them, what you do is you say, hey, I'm going to follow your program, and they say, great, now I'm going to build into you, um, and now I'm going to teach you how to do this skill set and to do it better. Now, we're not just talking about a skill set when it comes to our Christianity thing. We're talking about how we invest our lives fully. And that second part of that verse says, and I will make you, that Jesus will transform us. Ever been in a situation where you know Jesus is kind of speaking to you to transform something in your life? And you've just said, uh uh-uh, oh Jesus, no, nah, no. Nah. I like the church and all, I like the music and all that kind of stuff, but this transformation thing is pushing me a little fur, Far, excuse me, further. that's my southern. So um, <laughs> Jesus is saying to you, and I will make you. Um, please quiet, Ray, down here in the front. Then the third part of that verse, I will make you fishers of people. You know what Jesus is saying in that verse is, I don't want you to, to choose to follow me. I don't want to invest to build you up and to build into your life a, a new way of looking at life and giving you, uh, as he says, you know, life better than you could dream of is what God's word says in, four, in John 10.10. 10 just so you can kind of go around and play nice suburban living. He says that there's something more to life than that. I have a purpose. I have a mission for you. And so many of us believers sometimes, that's what we get wrapped up into. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to kind of let him work on my life. And now I'm going to live a better moral life. And that's the extent of it. And God said, that moral life will serve you much better than the way maybe you would choose otherwise. But that's for the purpose of a mission I want to send you on to do the work of the kingdom. So that's kind of the journey we've been on. Now, to identify that, to just help us know where we're all at. And, and again, we've said categories don't work perfect for everyone. It's not that fluid. But for the sake of generalizations and helping us out, we have this this graph I've been walking you through. So if you've been here with us, this is kind of review. But let me just recap it real quick. We have really spiritual, put spiritual on the head of all of these, spiritually dead And that's defined by unbelief. That's somebody who has not yet said yes to Jesus Christ. They've not yet chosen to say, Jesus can be Lord of my life. I want to live my life that direction. We talk about this born-again experience. That's straight from God's word, the word born-again, that there's a a moment in our life when we surrender and we say yes to Christ, and in God's eyes, we are born again, born anew, your translation might say. And we immediately become what we're calling an infant Christian, a, a, a baby Christian, And just like if you have a baby right now, we have like three new babies floating around this, I don't know, floating, maybe it's not the right term, but they're they're here, three new in the last several weeks, and how much can that infant really do on their own? Well, not a ton, some amazing little things, you know, they cry when they they need something and they they, kind of can grab onto a finger, but you're not leaving them at the house and saying, hey, we're out for the night, you know, kind of take care of things while we're gone, fix yourself dinner. Uh, It just wouldn't work for an infant. And so we're saying it's really, infant Christianity, it's defined by ignorance. Not a bad term there. We're not being derogatory. We're simply saying they don't know yet about the things of the faith. So discipleship begins. We have to start building into people that are new to the faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does that look like? Um, What does the Bible have to say about things? Why does God say different things. And so we start building into them. At some point, as this kind of sticks and we start to learn about God, we become a child Christian as we're growing, just like in real life. A baby eventually becomes a child. Um, But again, a child's life is still somewhat defined by selfishness. Again, don't look at it as a name-calling derogatory term. It's just how it functions. We still kind of look at things through our own eyes. And in the church world, sometimes we can look at it and we think about it in terms of What's in it for me? What can the church do for me? What can God do for me? Now, those questions are important to ask and they're not bad in and of themselves. But when that dictates and defines our Christianity to the fullest, then we can sometimes get stuck in this child stage and we can become a Christian 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. We can say, Yeah, I went to youth camp back when I was 17. I became a Christian. I'm 43 now. And yet we would say, I think my Christianity is still kind of defined by my own selfish approach. I look at what do I like about the church. I like the song. I like the preacher. I like this. I don't like this. It's hot in here today. It's not hot in here today. Um, We just look at everything from that perspective and we can get stuck here. But once the mission of God, the work of the kingdom, once that starts to take root we start to understand we have a purpose beyond ourselves, that selfish looking at things is not the totality of our Christian faith, we kind of graduate and we move on to this young adult stage where we start to look at things more from a mature perspective. Now my son James, he's 17, as you know, he just got accepted to Liberty University, which is his first college, so we're, we're kind of excited about getting accepted. Um, but here's the neat thing, is we made James do everything on his application stage himself. Like, he had to call the school and set up visits, and and he had to call and ask about things. So, I'm not going to make those phone calls for you and fill out everything for you. Now, I'm thinking back. When James was 4 years old, 6 years old, 10 years old, maybe even 14 years old, I probably would not have done that. I would have kind of walked with him and helped him out in that process. I mean... At four years old, it probably would have been a rude parent if I'd say, you want to go to that preschool? Fill out the application. You know? Hey, show some initiative. It just wouldn't have made sense. But when we get to this stage, now we're looking at a young adult, right? Now we're looking at somebody who we have to start building into, and we have to start giving responsibility to do the work of the kingdom and do what God has called them to do, to say, hey, you have a purpose and you have a mission, but sit on the sideline and don't do anything is not discipleship, and so we start to see this here, and then as they go on, we've talked about this parent. Remember, we intentionally called it a parent, not an adult, because we're not just talking about, well, I'm spiritually mature now. I've been in the church 15 years, so I'm spiritually mature. What we're saying as a parent is, you are discipling someone else. A parent, by title, has a kid of their own through adoption, Uh, however it might have worked. You would say, you have a kid, I'm a parent. And what we're saying here is this is defined by intentionality. I'm intentionally discipling and building into someone else. And so I want to ask you, just as a way of your own evaluation, before we move on and talk this morning where we're at, is where do you think you fit on this? Again, we understand as a staff and walking through this that these categories like aren't perfect to fit people in. But where do you think you fit? Where are you at if you really self-evaluate? Would you say, I've been in the church a long time, and I kind of feel like, my Christianity, if I was honest with myself, is a bit selfish-oriented. I've popped in and out of churches for different reasons that if I boil it down to, I, I think they're kind of selfish. I've never really lacked on to the mission. Maybe you've lacked on to the mission. You say, I'm a young adult, but man, I'm really, I'm really scared to build into somebody because what if I do and I fail? What if like, they don't grow like I'd hoped they would grow? What's going to happen then? And that happens sometimes. So where are you? And to find that. Now, I want to walk you through this week's, if you have your your sermon notes, um, just pull them out and you might have had a panic attack when you looked at your sermon notes because they look kind of complex this morning and there's a lot uh, in there. If you happen to get in here and you didn't get one, uh, just feel free to slip up your hand and Mike will run like the wind to your seat and, and which would be nice since it's hot in here this morning. And uh, he'll get you one. So just slip up your hand and Michael will get you one. Um, this is going to kind of be a, a, an important morning for you to have those and to, to be able to take them home with you this morning. So that'll be good. All right, so here's what I want you to do. This is the important part. If you miss this part right here, the whole sermon's going to be kind of tough for you. Take this right here, what we worked on, right here. Okay? You got that picture? You're looking at it right now? All right, embed that in your memory. Now let's look at our circle this morning that... Uh, that's going to go up on the screen for you here. It's also in your bulletin. Now, do you see the middle part? There's a blank circle in the middle of this diagram. All right? Now, this is, this is where you got to follow. All right? I know. This is com- complex. Take this circle and put it in the middle of that circle. We're expanding the circle this morning, and I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. Put this little circle, this now becomes little circle, and put it right in the middle of that blank circle. We're going to expand out what we're talking about in the area of discipleship. Last week, what I told you is this week, our our last week of talking about what the church wants to do in discipleship, that we're going to talk to you from a practical level, how we want to build into people at each stage of this discipleship journey. So we've defined what the stages are here, we're going to throw that right in the middle, and now we're going to go wider on it, and as we expand, we're going to say, here's now what we're going to do, what the church is committed to do to help disciple people who are at these various stages. Does that make sense what we're doing here? This circle, in there, circle, it's on your sheet, now let's walk through it and I'll kind of tell you what we're talking about. There's four key words I want you to look at today, and I'm going to walk you through it. The words are share, connect, connect. Minister and disciple. We're going to use share twice. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But these are four key words as we start to talk from a practical perspective about discipleship. Here's the first stage. Remember we talked about spiritually dead or defined by unbelief? That first stage there, we want to ask the question, okay, what do you do with somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ? What do you do? How do you reach that person? How do you, in a way, disciple that person even though they haven't yet even wanted to follow Jesus or don't know enough about Jesus? And the answer is simple for us from a practical perspective is is we want to share the gospel. Remember, the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. And and we want to share the gospel with people. And so that means that when you come to church on Sunday morning, it's important for us that, that if it doesn't happen every single morning, that somebody doesn't come over the course of three or four weeks, and they don't understand, if they don't know Jesus, they don't understand what a life with Jesus looks like, and how they might receive the invitation that Jesus is, in, is offering them to become a Christian and to live in Christ. In fact, I learned uh, last week as I was working, doing some Bible study, that Paul one of the writer of the New Testament, and many, many books in the New Testament, Paul writes, Paul never uses the word Christian. He never defines us by Christian. Paul defines us by being in Christ. What does it look like to be in Christ? And if, we, if you came three or four weeks in a row and you didn't know what life in Christ was, we want to make sure we're sharing that. We're sharing the good news of the gospel, what a life in Christ looks like. But guess what? You get that opportunity every day as well. Wherever you go, wherever you work or live or who you interact with, you have the opportunity to share the gospel with anyone you come in contact with. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Believers, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this in gentleness and respect. Notice how it's being written there. Have, uh, be ready to answer for the hope that you have. You know what we translate it, that into often? We translate that, that into, like, really be up on your Bible trivia. Like, like, really know how every intricate thing in the theological world works together. Because if anybody hits you with a deep theological an- uh, question that theologians have been wrestling with for the last 2,000 years, and you don't have the answer for it now, then, you know, you blew it. You blew it. That's not what the passage is saying. Do you know what the passage is really talking about? Share your testimony. Why did you become a Christian? Why did you cling to the hope of Jesus Christ? What does Christ have to offer your life on a daily basis? Tell people about that. Tell them about the hope that you have. Do you know that every single time somebody says something to you, something like, I'm just so stressed out, I don't know what to do. I, I'm just, I am so desperately worried and anxious about whatever the case may be in their life. It's like this little opportunity to speak into their life. You don't have to flow out with three-point sermon and pick up, you know, like the music stand like this and go to town on them, but just to simply give them an answer for the hope you have. To say, you know... I used to really deal with worry. Let me tell you what Jesus brought my life. And let me tell you how, how this was removed from this, this life, that being crippled to worry, and you share about the hope of Christ in your life. Somebody at your work just has a, a loss. They lost a family member, lost a cl- close friend. And you say, you know, I, I had this moment in my life where I lost somebody close, uh, you know, a mother, a friend, whoever it may have been. Let me tell you how I walk through that. Let me tell you what the church did for me in the process and how the Lord gave me this peace that passes understanding and you share with them. What are you doing? Exactly what the verse is teaching us, we're sharing the gospel. We're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and what he brought to our lives. And it's amazing how often, we don't think it'll happen, that the questions we get back are, can you tell me more about that? And we share with them more about that. So uh, we want to make sure we're sharing the Gospels with people who are far from God, people that don't know Jesus Christ. But then we have this, this level where they become a Christian, they're born again, right? Maybe it happened on a Sunday morning, maybe they, you know, it was just their own personal time with the Lord and, and God kind of hit them in a way, youth camp, whatever the case may be, and they become an infant Christian. Well, what are we going to do for an infant Christian? Well, we want to use this same word that we want to share with them. We want to share different things with them. And the first thing we want to share with them is our life. We want to share our life. The best way for somebody, a new Christian, to know how to be a Christian, what Christianity has to bring to their life, is by you sharing your life with them and them being able to see what it has to offer. It's a little bit different than a spiritual dead person. They may or may not have any interest in what God is doing in your life. But a new Christian will have interest. They'll want to know... How do you walk your days? How do you deal with certain things? How do, you, like, how do you find time to read God's word? And how does this prayer thing work? They'll want to know those type of things. So as we share our life with them, we get to teach them. We get to talk with them. It's like this life-on-life interaction. Jesus was like a master of this. Notice one very popular story in scripture in Luke chapter 19. It says this, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Remember short little Zacchaeus, climbed up in the tree to see Jesus. And Jesus comes and says, I want to share my life with you. In fact, I'm coming to your house, so make sure the meal's good, and I want to share my life with you. Now, we have no understanding of what Jesus said to Zacchaeus in that the scripture skips right to the end of the story, but we know that guy was so transformed when he went out of spending that time with Jesus. And so we want to share our lives. But we also want to share new truths with them. New truths. We want to talk with them and share them about things they may not know about God's word. Here's what God's word has to say. Here's a new truth you might not understand. You might be walking in a Bible study with a new believer and you say something about Trinity, God's son uh, and the Holy Spirit all in one, and they'll go like, I have no idea what that guy was talking about. And you have this opportunity to talk to them. About this new truth. It may be a lifestyle thing where our culture says, live this way, but when we look in God's Word, God's Word says, no, live this way. It brings better life for you, and you have the opportunity to share. And so we want to share new truths with them as well. And then also, it kind of flows into it is sharing new habits. New habits. Now, I think I told you a, a while ago that the average Christian over the course of a week, outside of like Sunday morning church when the scripture might be read to you, or your small group Bible study if you happen to go to one of those, the average Christian spends how long in God's Word, do you remember? Three minutes. Three minutes over the course of the week. So that would mean that that somebody might be reading like a a verse a day type of thing. It pops up on your phone, and it's like the verse of the day, and you read that and go, "That's a pretty good verse." You might even go a little extra credit and you know give an extra few seconds to post it on your Facebook page like that, you know. Um, But that's on average. That's about it. This comes from George Barna's new study. Three minutes. I'd love to tell you that it's like an epidemic that just kind of hits just the average Christian in general. But the average pastor over the course of the week, outside of sermon prep, is in God's Word about 12 minutes. That's that's an average pastor committed to this. That's amazing. And so what we want to do with a new Christian is teach habits. Teach you how how to read God's Word, how to get in God's Word. Asking questions like, hey, tell me three days a week that that it would be good for you to read God's word. What's a location that would be good for you? What's a time that would be good for you? And start to build and teach into new habits. Prayer. Let me teach you about prayer. Let me teach you about the simplicity of prayer and walking them through some of these new habits. What is communion at all? What do we do communion? Why do we do it the way we do it? What is baptism? Why do we do that? When a little kid comes up on stage, Pastor Tom, and you dedicate that little kid, why don't you dunk that little kid like I've seen at other churches? We want to start teaching them new habits that we, when we look at God's word and we see God's word teaching us. So that's for a, a new Christian. Can I just tell you, I've been in church world long enough, and you have, that often what we do is somebody comes to know Jesus Christ, they become a Christian, they're very excited about that, and we kind of just sit back and say, all right, you're on your own, go, go. The great Christian bookstore down the road. Go, you know, grab yourself a Bible and maybe a book or two and let me know how it goes. And what we're saying in our disciple shift is we want to be more intentional and hands-on with this. Can I tell you something right now? Uh, For those of you who are sitting out there, uh, there are many of you that God has called, you know it, to disciple a new Christian. To build into a new Christian just the way I talked about. And to work with them one-on-one for several weeks and teaching them and walking them through this new kind of stuff as you share your life. Well, let's jump on to the, the child Christian. What are we going to do with children? This is the broadest net. We've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. It's the widest net. Because we have people that are like new to being a child Christian. And we're excited about them moving on to be children. And then we have people that have been child Christian for 20 years. And I can tell you as a pastor, I'm quite less excited about that. When they're still a child Christian after such a long time as we want to see them spiritually grow so what do we want to do here the key word here is connection is we want to connect them we want to connect them to something the first thing we want to connect them to is we want to connect them to god and that might seem like well duh tom of course we're going to connect them to god you made that part of your sermon um Well, this is important because often what we think in the church world is that the connection is come to church, hear the pastor, go away, and you've heard everything you need to know for the week. You're good. You're golden. So just like I'm going to go to practice today, my coach is going to have about five minutes of individual time with me. The rest will be with the team as a whole, right? And I know everything I need to know in that sport or that skill set from that five minutes. doesn't make any sense, does it? We want to connect you to God. Because though the the function of the church on Sunday mornings, the sermon, the Sunday school, the Bible studies you might go to are of great importance, they are not the totality of your Christian growth. Your Christian growth comes from a life connected with God. Take a look uh, at at your outline this morning. I want to share with you a passage. It says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. What is the scripture saying there? That ultimately it's God. That Tom Raven did not help you grow or make you grow in your Christian walk. Your small group leader, That we were tools and instruments of God. He does the growing. So who would you want to be connected to ultimately? To God himself. And so we want to direct a connection to God. We we also want to help connect you to a a family. When I first came here six years ago, almost six years ago, the family was such an impression to me, that family connection. And so we want to connect people to a family. uh, And we want people to connect in a way that relationally they can interact with other people. One of the ways we do it is through our small groups. In fact, we have small groups that are starting tonight and small groups that are starting next Sunday night. And our encouragement is quite simple, just we want everyone involved in a small group in some capacity. You would think in a church our size, 160, 170 people, you would think, well, it's really easy to get to know everyone right here. But guess what? From my perspective, I stand here on Sunday morning before church, I watch during church greeting time, and I watch after church. And I can give you the proof that you don't all know each other, all right? It's just, it's not even possible, even in a group this size, to really get to know, on a family level, this many people. But when you get in a small group of eight or ten, and you walk through God's word, and you start to share life, you might have a meal together, you might have just this interaction, you pray together, you start to get to know people. Now, there's no way around it, in my understanding, over many years of small group ministry, it takes a little bit of vulnerability to make it happen. Do you remember the first day you started anything new, and was there not a nervousness that came into it in your life? The nervousness of a small group is far uh, outvalued by the family atmosphere that it brings to your life. And so we encourage everyone to be in small group. That's an aspect of the family, but it's something we encourage uh, greatly. And then finally, and this is so significant to a child Christian, is connecting you to your purpose your purpose in fact I would say the dominant reason that most get stuck in this child stage in their Christian journey is because they don't understand their purpose and their mission as God has designed them and when we look at God's word we know that uh, Jesus says my purpose is to come and seek and save the lost he tells us at the end of Matthew now go make disciples and so we understand when we look at God's word there's a clear mission and purpose for us But like we've said the last four weeks, that we get caught up often in, I made a decision for Christ, I'm kind of growing, I go to small group, I go to church and those type of things. Um, But I also kind of, I'm pretty comfortable just kind of hunkered down and living my life out wherever I live and that kind of thing. I mean, I've got little leagues and I've got, you know, schools and I've got kids and I've got those kind of things. So God's purpose, it's kind of way down somewhere for maybe some other day. And what God is saying is, we'll never really understand the power of our Christianity if we get stuck not knowing our purpose. Here's something we're going to do in just a couple of weeks, and, and we're actually encouraging everyone to stay for it. On October 9th, right after church, we're asking you to stay. We're going to feed you. We're going to watch your kids. Um, that we means, like not me, but them, are going to watch your kids. Um, and we are basically going to walk through a spiritual evaluation assessment. We want you to learn, you know, what is your spiritual gifts as defined by God's word? What is, what is really your heart? What's your abilities? What's your personality like? Sometimes we don't even know. What is your experiences and how does it play into it? Put all those, those together, take the first letter, and it's our shape, S-H-A-P-E. And so that afternoon, we're basically going to walk you through so you can walk away and say, this is my shape for ministry, and then we'd like to have every ministry that we do in the church and every ministry we're kind of connected to outside the church and just have, well, if you have this spiritual gift, here's five or six ministries that kind of line up with those type of things. If you've never done that, you've never understood you know, just how you're designed that way, uh, we really we invite you, encourage you to stay that day. It's been forever since I've walked through that. And I'd love to walk through it again. I'd love to do it with you. So just plan on that October 9th. And our goal is to walk away and know our purpose. Ephesians 4.12 says it this way. Prepare God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. That's our purpose in that. Now, I'm into sports and competition and all that, and I'm amazed how many times we think God has empowered us or gifted us in some skill set thing so that we can win, so that we can do well. So that we can do something in that skill set we hadn't done before. And really God's saying in his word here, no, whatever I gifted you with, I gifted you to build up the body of Christ. To do the works of service. Our fourth area is, is our young adults. And here we want to start building into their mission. If you're 21 years old, right, and I go over to your house and your parents are making dinner for us all, and, and you invited me, and I look over, and your mom is like reaching over and cutting up your meat for you, and if your mom's pushing your veggies around so they don't touch the other food, I might walk, ago, walk away and go, hmm, I'm not sure how this is functioning for this 21-year-old. Um, it seems like at this point they'd be cutting up their own meat and pushing their own veggies around the plate. At this point, we want to start allowing young adults to grow and build in their purpose and in their ministry. We've, we've looked at this and said, hey, they're growing in their spiritual walk. They're plugged into the church. They're, they're growing in their own disciplines. Um, but they've really latched onto this purpose and mission. Matthew 16 says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my for me will find it. You know what that verse is talking about? It takes a lot of commitment and dedication when we start saying, I want to be a part of the purpose and the mission that God has for me. It's more about kind of denying my own focus and my own goals and my own mission that I might have had. And looking at the mission of Christ. And so these three things that we want to do is we want to equip for ministry here. Minister is the word. Excuse me, I missed that. We want to equip. Equip. I get really nervous up here about spelling in front of you. Really nervous. So I'm just going to blur them together and then it'll look all right. We want to equip for ministry. Help you understand how to minister. Can I just be honest with you? I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. I started youth pastoring like at 18, a year later, this little junior high ministry. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was basically throwing bouncy balls out and saying, have fun, and I'll have a verse for you at the end. Um, That's about what I knew to do at the time. I went four years working in that junior high ministry and some high school towards the end of that, and then I went on to seminary, and when I was in seminary, I took another youth ministry position. Do you know it wasn't until that youth ministry position, I'm now five years into my ministry career, six years, six and a half years into being a Christian, the first time anyone in my life ever said, I want to kind of equip you to be, I think, I think you have some gifting to be a good youth pastor, but I'd, I'd like to kind of equip you and teach you how to be a better youth pastor. Six years. Um, now, does that mean that we didn't do some good ministry and the Lord didn't bless it? I'm sure they did, but man, I would like to have known... At 18, 19, 20, some of the stuff I started to learn at 23 years old, we want to equip you and build into you. October 9th, one of the first part of equipping you is helping you know how you're designed. And so, again, that will be an important morning for us. We also want to provide ministry opportunities. Imagine if we equipped you for ministry, but we never allowed you to actually minister. Like, like your coach really equipped you. You're ready to play shortstop, be the starting shortstop. And your coach said, Nah, just sit the bench today. You know, just hang back. You know, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. So we want to provide ministry opportunities for you. And we have lots of them in the church, but many that we're connected with that are outside the church. And then we want to just release you to do ministry. That means when we say release you, that that we're going to start allowing you to be the one that takes leadership and and control and design of these different ministries and we will keep building into you in the process but you can see the progression equip you, provide some opportunities, and start to release you to do those opportunities yourself. That's all part of the young adult. And if you can think, especially you your parents that have had a kid that's 18 to 25, you can see how this plays out here. Finally, on the practical level is, is our disciple, our parent here. Remember, the intentional word is parent is we want our parent to actually be discipling someone. Many of you, like, God has moved you to this point where you're ready to disciple somebody, but you've been a little afraid to do that, or you just haven't been practically equipped. You don't even know how to begin here at the church. And so we're saying we want to build into parents just the same Listen what God's word says. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to other people. Listen, if you've been a Christian 15, 20 years, and you would look and go, yeah, I'm really a, a mature Christian. I've really grown a ton. I, I view myself as kind of a, a very strong, spiritually mature person. And we ask the question who are you discipling? Like, who are you building into right now? Who are the people that God has specifically put in your life where you say, I'm discipling these people? And you go like, well, I don't know. I've never done that. Then God would say, well, we got a further journey to go on in the spiritual maturity process because what God's word is telling us here is now turn around and teach somebody else. So what do we want to do in the disciple side is we want to explain this process to you. We just walked through the whole summer, 12 different ministry leaders. We're launching three groups that will walk through the discipleship material that I talked about last week, and they begin like today. A couple of them are beginning, and and one next Monday night, so three that are going to walk through. These are people that are saying, teach me how to disciple other people, and so we want to explain this ministry process. We want to release them to disciple other people. What are we saying is it's not just the pastor's role, it's not the staff's role. We want to release people to actually go and disciple and we'll start doing that together and then we'll let them do it all by themselves, do it alone there. So can you see the progression of this process as we work through this? This is a practical approach in what we're doing. Listen, if you would like to come to church and your goal is just kind of sit back and, and watch um, and leave me be... Um, then what we're talking about is not the greatest setup, though we know that there is a period of time in here where we kind of let you control your own pace, but we want to keep building into you. We want to keep teaching you new components of what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. So when you look up here, no matter where you're at in the process, our goal and our desire here at Wendover Hills and starting this semester really focusing on it is to help you, teach you, and help move you along so that you can in turn turn to someone else and minister wouldn't it be amazing if everyone's sitting right here if one day soon if you're not already there that you would say look 160 people are building in and discipling someone else one person two persons however many that you were discipling and making an impact in their life that way i want to close by telling you this i did this three different times I did it with the board, I did it with the staff, and I did it with the ministry leaders. I asked them the question, tell me about the most significant ministry experience that you had. So it was somewhere around 30 people when you add them all together in our church. Tell me about the most significant ministry experience you've ever had. And can I tell you, my memory best serves, all but three of those people, their ministry, most significant ministry experience was centered around a time where they built into somebody else and they saw that person growing or impacted or transformed in their life. The, the, the proof is there that the most significant thing we do in the work of kingdom is when we do the service of the kingdom and when we disciple and build in to other people the truths of Jesus Christ. That's our journey And that's our direction. Now, next week, um, significant week to be at. I'm kind of done for five weeks. I'm done telling you a little bit about what the church is going to do, what our focus is, what we're committed to as a staff, a board, a ministry, and and where we're headed in this process. Next week, I want to say, talk to you for the the final sermon in this series. I want to talk to you in the sense of, what's your role now? And so I encourage you, significant, significant morning to, to be here and to, to finish off this series next Sunday morning. So uh, we'll look forward to that. But let me pray for you on this. And uh, while I'm praying, I want to invite you to just really evaluate where are you in this process and where is it God has been kind of challenging you, encouraging you to move forward. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this discipleship. Thank you for the, what we've walked through for five weeks. And Father, I just uh, want to pray, Lord, that... First of all, that we could rightfully self-identify where we're at in this journey. Lord, some of the hardest times in my spiritual journey and my life with you over the last 20 plus years have been the times where I stopped and identified where I was at. And I had to say, Lord, now challenge me. I didn't always like your challenge, Lord. I didn't like your push. I never got off the idea that your, your, your challenges often are around time and energy. And Lord, i but the blessing that has come on the times where I have walked forward. I pray that on every person at Windover Hills this morning. They would latch onto that and move forward as they look at this, the charts and as they look at the things that we've been teaching through and working through. So, Father, bless each person here in that area. Lord, specifically, I go ahead of you and ask that you would bless next Sunday as I think it will be a challenging morning for all of us who call Windover Hills home. So, Lord, would you bless us this week? We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for that. It's been a joy the last five weeks. If you've missed any of the sermons, if this is like your first sermon in the series, then you really, you it's like hitting book five in a series. Um, please go to our website, windoverhills.org, and just listen to the other ones. Get caught up, see the progression of what we've been talking about the last five weeks, and you'll be ready to go next Sunday when we talk about uh, the, the other focus. Hey, I've got one more announcement, but in order to do that, I want to invite uh, one of our special friends up That that this guy does just so much at Wendover Hills, um, but you don't see it as much because he, he does it outside of the church. Um, and and we're, he's kind of guiding and leading in a ministry, specifically this month that has a goal in it. And I want to invite, if I could, John Crookshank to come up and share with you uh, a little bit about that. So John, would you come on up and share with us?
1: thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. Tom said I could have 30 minutes up here. Is that all right? I, uh, as you know, I work at, uh, lot 2540, and, uh, I get to meet a lot of people there, and, and uh, and I really, really like messing with the little kids, uh, because they don't know how to take me, you know, and, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, in the store. It wasn't a pantry time, but there were some parents, and they had a, a small kid with him. probably five, six years old. And uh, everywhere I walked, uh, I'd kind of run into him, and he'd just look at me and just kind of, it was like, who are you? And uh, so we, he they were did their shopping, and they got some things. They were getting ready to leave the store. And uh, I just walked up to him. I said, well, hey, how are you doing? He says, I know you. I've seen you on TV. You're a cartoon. <laughs> so that's the kind of people I meet. But uh, at Lot 2540, we are a ministry. Uh, we are Bible-based, and we are Christ-centered. So uh, that's what we do. Everything we do, we try to uh, We pray. We make sure that it's in God's will and that it is uh, biblically founded. And uh, in his word, Uh, we actually reach a lot of people that sometimes we're unaware of. Uh, We had two ladies who came in and uh, noticed uh, what we were doing and went over to our cafe where we feed people. And uh, they went back to their their home, and uh, they were from Stanley, North Carolina. And uh, because of what they saw we were doing, they opened up a soup kitchen in their area and uh, are feeding people over there. Uh, We had uh, Pastor Darrell who used to be the pastor at uh, at the lot and uh, um, just because of what he was doing and uh, how the lot affected him uh, he found there was a place in West Virginia that needed some help and he decided that he would go to West Virginia and uh, open up a ministry there which is uh called Made New Ministry where he does the same thing he takes in uh clothing and distributes that and uh has a thrift store and with that he also feeds people and uh this month he is outgrown uh where he is and had to move so he closed this place down and now he's in the uh, local recreation center uh, where they have uh youth programs and uh They have a like a basketball court and all that in there, so it's it's amazing how we touch people and how they go forward, and uh, what's the same pass it on I guess. Um, But uh, we got some events coming up. Before I I have some figures for you like I always do, but we do have some events coming up. Uh, We've got a uh, if I can get to this, uh, Bruce's Hope in Lot Twenty Five Forty. It's a motorcycle run that we're doing. It's October 8th, and uh, all the proceeds will go through Bruce's Hope. Now, Bruce is a pastor in the area of Madison, Mandan. He's dealing with leukemia, uh, but he still preaches every Sunday, and he's up in that pulpit. And uh, he's, uh, it's kind of stable right now, and they're hoping that he'll be going into remission pretty soon. But that's an event we have. It'll be... Uh, it'll start in Stoneville and it'll go through the area, 220, all around and it'll end up at the lot at 2 o'clock and uh, we'll be feeding lunch and uh, have a band playing and uh, if uh, that's something you'd like to just come to or all you bikers out there I know we got like 30 of them uh, if you want to join that, that's fine or rent a bike, whatever can you rent bikes? I don't know. Uh, sorry, I got too much paperwork here. Okay, well, we'll get into some figures now. If I can get a right side it. there, we go. Uh, as of through August, okay, we uh, we have what we do. You know, we get all this produce and stuff in from uh, Food Lion, and we have a farmer's group that also uh, brings us uh, fresh vegetables. And uh, one one weekend they brought us uh, a pallet of cherry tomatoes, and along with that another pallet of regular tomatoes. I don't know different names of tomatoes, but they looked like they were just regular tomatoes to me. But we were, we were fortunate enough to get all that and uh, give that away. So we get... With this produce, you know, produce you can't keep uh, for too many days before it starts to go bad. Uh, So we we have what we call a mobile market, and every Thursday we take what produce we have and we load that into a truck, put our tables in there, and uh, we go out to uh, assisted housing areas and set up our tables and distribute uh, fresh produce uh, on Thursdays. So doing that month, uh, year to date, we've, uh, uh, doing that, we've affected uh, 708 households and uh, individuals uh, at 1,057. We also have what we call a walk-in market on Saturdays. Now, those are Saturdays that we do not have uh, food pantry. We now have two food pantries a month. Uh, But on those Saturdays, we take our produce, we set it out on tables, and from one to two, uh, they can come in and get fresh produce there. And when they finish that, if we still have more, they can come back through again because uh, we, get, we try to get rid of it, all of it so uh, we have less waste. And actually, we hardly throw away anything. Um, so on the walk-in markets, uh, we've done uh, 798 in, uh, households and uh, which comes out to 1,615 individuals. Uh, our, our mid-month pantry, since we have two, uh, doing that, we, uh, on those pantries, we feed breakfast and we feed lunch. And uh, we also give them their box of food. Uh, we give them uh, pork, chicken, and uh, meat. Uh, that is frozen that we have in our freezers that we collect uh, daily from Food Lion and in, in other locations. Um, so in our mid-month, we've done uh, 529 families, uh, which is uh, 1,018 individuals. Uh, our end of month, which is our, our bigger pantry, we, we went to two because we just had too many people. Uh, coming in for us to service in our allotted time. So we kind of split them up and and uh, actually go by age. Um, but in our main food pantry, uh, we've done 771 households, which is uh, 1,976 uh, individuals. Uh, in our cafe, where I mentioned we feed lunch, uh, we feed lunch every day. Tuesday through Saturday when we're open, uh, and p- so people can come in and get a hot meal. Uh, we serve breakfast on the days of pantry. Uh, so our cafe, which I like to refer to as the well, which it used to be called, we've done uh, 8,932, which is the So we feed about 1,100 people uh, a month just in our cafe. So, so now we get to last year versus this year. Uh, in 2015, now this is just for our pantries. Uh, last year, we households, we did uh, 678 uh, individuals. It was 1,592. This year to date, uh, 2,806 households. And individuals of 5,654, which gives us an increase of 314%. And we're still doing it with the same amount of staff. Um, Actual food that we've given out this year, last year uh, 33,192. This year is 128,000. Two hundred and four, which is an increase of two hundred and eighty-eight percent. So, with that being said, I just want to remind you that we can use volunteers anytime and uh, at any events. Uh, so, we could use your help doing that. We're doing a oatmeal drive this month, uh, which really awesome today. Uh, we decided on a hundred. And uh, I counted from what we got last week and what we have right now, uh, towards that 100, we have 48. So I'm going to 200 this month. (laughs) So we're we're almost halfway there. And uh, it's really, really doing good. Uh, One thing I did fail to mention, every Thanksgiving, we always have a big uh, Thanksgiving uh, pantry where we give them, with the help of the uh, Chamber of Commerce, We give out turkey and a box of food, which actually the Chamber of Commerce pays for and boxes for us. So that's a month that we don't have to buy any food or uh, anything like that, but we still do our produce stuff. Um, And we do that every year, and we feed 200, 250 families on that one day. This year we have uh, Marty, who is our director has uh, gotten with all the chambers of commerce within the county of of Rockingham. And uh, all the chambers of commerce are going to do that. So we'll have different distribution points throughout the county. Uh, We'll have uh, areas where we'll collect food and and other things, because we will still be doing the produce with them also. So we plan on feeding 2,500 families this year for Thanksgiving uh, giving them a turkey and a box of food so uh, we are we are growing we're growing r- rapidly and it's it's not us it's God that is doing it so we must be doing something right okay thank you very much uh, you. Um, um, two weeks ago
0: uh, we had our uh, volunteer appreciation uh, banquet that we do every year at party, all that kind of stuff and uh, John, who's uh, battled some, some illness stuff over the course of this year, was, was still dealing with wasn't able to be at that. It's pretty cool because, I mean, he's battled some of these things are crazy, um, and yet he doesn't miss a beat in these ministries. He his energy, and, and, and anyhow, that's a cool story for him to tell you. Uh, but at that bank, we hand out these things called the Wendy's Awards. They're kind of fun, made-up awards uh, for uh, the, the people have done different things volunteering over the course of year. But our one kind of serious award... Uh, that we would like to do is our volunteer review award and John was not there that Sunday at that party to get that award and so we thought we'll save it for the right time um, because he'll never let me do this if I ask him um, so I just decided not to tell him so uh, but this morning John we wanted to award you your award from a few weeks ago Thank you,